Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Dr. Workman, and thank you all for joining us in worship on this very fine St. Valentine's Day. If you have noticed the beautiful roses we have on the altar, they were given in honor of Mary and Wesley Slate by their daughters. And the flowers in the niches were given in honor of Dr. James Collins, my predecessor by his lovely wife, Sandra. We are certainly sorry that we couldn't be here together for our normal festivities, but it is a joy to still connect our hearts with each other in worship, knowing that we're bound together by the Holy Spirit, by the God who made us, knows us, and loves us. Yes, I understand the pandemic is testing our mettle, it's testing our love, it's testing our patience. But with the strength of God, we will continue on embodying the love that we are here to celebrate today. Today is St. Valentine's Day. You're probably celebrating with flowers, maybe some chocolates, maybe some sweets, or maybe you are just enjoying a little day to rest. But on Wednesday, we start the long walk with Jesus towards the cross, Ash Wednesday. Join us at midweek prayer on Zoom for a devotion about Lent. But also know that each week during Lent here at Peachtree, we're not asking you to fast. A lot has been taken from your life from all our lives. We have been stripped down, living in protraction. So we're asking that maybe you take something up this Lenten season. I should say, if you do wish to fast, that is a wonderful spiritual practice, and I encourage you to do so. But as a community, we're challenging you each week to take on a different challenge that will add to your connection with one another and hopefully your connection with God. This week, we challenge you to write an encouraging card or letter. Try to do it by hand to somebody you don't typically interact with in this congregation. These are people that you don't exchange cards with frequently, you don't call frequently, you don't text them frequently, but you know them. Reach out to somebody in love this week and encourage them. Tell them how you've seen God work in their lives. Pray over the letter, pray in the letter for them, and let this be a moment where we connect deeply and truly with one another and with God. Before we reflect on Scripture, Let's turn our hearts together in prayer toward our Creator and Redeemer. Creator God, we are thankful for the life that you have given us, and we confess that we have not always treated that gift well. We have been wayward, unwise, we've been sinful. Yet as we removed ourselves from you, you still saw fit to send your Son Christ to reconcile us unto yourself and we are grateful. And we believe that Christ is at work in our hearts to cultivate in us a desire for your kingdom ways of justice and love, not the ways of the world or the flesh, 
We're grateful. Similarly, we know that you have sent your Holy Spirit to be our guide, our counselor, our friend, to make us into a community of care, a community, a body of Christ. And we are thankful. God, send forth your Spirit now freshly in this hour, for you and I know that without you I can do nothing. We pray that these words and meditations illuminate something true and deep inside of us that produces much fruit. It is in the matchless name of your Son, we pray, and God's people say together, Amen. I often like to think back to the days of my spiritual immaturity. I don't know, perhaps I'm still immature spiritually, but I like to go back to the beginning. When I was in high school, and I had an encounter with God, and it left me, as they say, on fire for Christ. I would wear Christian t-shirts to school, and as far as I could tell, when I was a senior, I was the only one in my class who was a Christian. I got so excited one day when my youth minister talked about the armor of faith in the Bible. And he said, the Bible, the Word was our sword. So I used to take it to school when I was a senior. I used to stack my books with the Bible on top of it, and I'd carry it down the hallway thinking this was a great testimony to all the other students and teachers and the principals that walked by. I was confident that I had chosen the path to God, and I thought this was a symbol to others who had chosen a different path, that there was one better if they just kept asking. As I think about that, I'm reminded that to triumph, one's own triumph is never where the gospel lives. The gospel only ever lives in the triumph of Christ over death and brokenness. This is a good thing for us to remember when we read this morning's passage. In it, St. Paul muses over the notion that the gospel may be veiled to some people. If it is veiled, he says, it is so only for those who are perishing. Now, what do you suppose that means? Does Paul mean to say that God is actively veiling the gospel, his good news to some, while allowing others to see it, as if there is an in-crowd and an out-crowd? When I was in grade school, on Valentine's Day and your birthday, if you were to bring Valentine's and birthday invitations to birthday parties, it was a rule. You had to bring them for everybody in the class. This one year, my mom drove us up to the to the loop to drop us off where you do, and we would get out in the playground and gather with groups of friends. I gathered with my little tribe, and I noticed over just up the hill, over there, there was another group from my class of people who I perceived as more popular. And they were all ex exchanging envelopes, white and pink and red. I even saw some doilies. In those days, moms helped their sons put doilies on Valentine's. They were giving out Valentines before school, and I wondered, would they bring me a Valentine? And they didn't. They didn't bring anybody who I was standing with a Valentine. I, in fact, saw some of them look over to us and giggle. I at least assumed they were giggling at me. Insecure I was. I definitely felt like I was on the out of something special and not on the inside of something special. Is that what Paul is saying about the gospel? Well, Paul does say 
It is the God of this world that has blinded the eyes of non-believers. But who is this God? Is not the God of all creation also the God of this very world? Well, when you read the text, as we just did, I notice the lowercase g here with God. So maybe, perhaps, Paul has someone else or something else in mind. I suspect that many of us would jump rather hastily and suggest that Paul is referring to the devil, to Lucifer, to the Antichrist himself. Maybe. Maybe it is the truth that for every single person who cannot see the glory of God's message, there is the devil right behind them, covering his hands over their eyes in some sort of maniacal game. I don't know. That seems to give the devil a whole lot of credit. And it seems to afford the devil a whole lot of omniscient power, which is not something we deduce about the devil when we read the Holy Scriptures. Who or what is the God of this world? Now, just a moment ago, I spoke of the devil and I spoke of a scarier term, at least to me. That term is the Antichrist. Now, I imagine that when most of us think about this figure, the Antichrist, we think of a villainous, hellacious leader of troops that is sent into this world to undermine every good, right, noble, just thing that's here. But what does the term Antichrist mean? Let me submit to you that quite simply we can break it down this way. Anti equals against. Christ equals equals Christ, and so we can assume at least, if nothing more, if nothing less, that an antichrist is one who simply stands opposed to Christ. And when you think about it, there is much in this world that stands opposed to the lordship and kingship of Christ. But there is also something much more sinister ever-present in all of our worlds because there are things that do not directly oppose Christ yet, yet they can occupy our attention so profoundly that we may be lulled into spiritual slumber. When I survey our culture, sometimes I feel as though we are a collective of what Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche, called the last man, living for nothing but passivity and cynicism. The feeling is almost pervasive as I see it in this world that there's nothing too special about it. We'd rather binge watch something on the couch rather than read and learn something and stretch our imagination that way. Or we'd rather fill our time with games than to be quiet with our own selves in the stance of contemplation, finding out who we truly are on the inside. We'd rather cynically criticize and tear down and deconstruct than to put ourselves into the arena where we're asked to attempt to build worlds. It is as though we have seen a world and called it disenchanted, no longer teeming with the grace of God-givenness. 
nothing too special. The world is a bunch of stuff. It's a bunch of brute facts that we can amass and use at our disposal. Several years ago, there was a new game that came out called Pokemon Go. You hold up your cell phone and your camera would survey your world and on your phone you would see characters and you were trying to collect them or battle them. I really don't know. I don't play video games. But I remember driving to the office one day and as I came down Peachtree Street, I looked up and I saw at the steps of our front door a mass of college students from neighboring Savannah College of Art and Design. I wondered what they were doing. Did I miss a calendar item? Were we serving free food? I, I didn't know. I came around the corner through the parking lot and up to where I parked and then I meandered over to this mass of students. And I saw that they were all together but they were all very much alone. Because they weren't doing life together. They were all staring down at their futile devices playing this Pokemon Go game. It was as if in their malaise of disenchantment, they had to re-enchant the world with some sort of technocentric means to bring something special back to a world that was none too special. They didn't have eyes to see that what was already before them was indeed graced and special enough. They weren't looking up at this beautiful bell tower or these windows or the dogwood trees. They were staring down looking for something else. It is no wonder that people cannot see the truth of God, for so many are spiritually asleep, lulled by the lullaby of distractions. Let's list some. Social media, the hot air of talk radio, relentless 24-hour news cycles, and let's not forget when we all compare ourselves with our neighbors. That list was so not profound and so boring to offer to you, I'm almost putting myself asleep. Yet, all those things lay so much claim over what we see and how we see in this world. The solution is to wake up. The solution is to wake up. Christians are those who are supposed to have been awoken already to the light of God revealed in Christ. And sometimes that takes some doing. In the gospel passage for this week, Jesus takes a few of his disciples, not all, just a few, away from the crowds, away from their duties, away from their leisure, away from whatever trouble they face or whatever delight they face. He takes them away and up to a hilly place. And it is there after the quiet and there after the prayers that something happens. The light of God pervades the very physical body of Jesus of Nazareth. We call it the transfiguration, but it is the glory of the Lord seen palpably by the eyes of these disciples in and through the person of Jesus. And there's that great epiphany moment, that great realization, aha, this is the Son of God. Sometimes to get a glimpse, it takes some doing. It takes some getting away from the mundane or the day-to-day -day or whatever you want to call it. It takes some unplugging. Perhaps it means that we, to cultivate the eyes to see, are required to do a little unplugging ourselves so that we can truly see 
the goodness of God that is painted within the very fabric of creation. You probably heard that great story of that samurai who was caught, or discovered rather, staring at a cherry tree blossom for a few hours at a time. So entranced was he at the being of the cherry tree blossom that he delighted and looked and took it in. I think people today might scoff at such a practice. What a waste of time. You get more things done doing something else. But I submit to you that samurai knew more of that cherry tree blossom than you or I from looking at dictionaries or encyclopedias or a cursory study on Wikipedia because he didn't just know facts and figures. He knew its inner, inner being and grace. If you have been awoken, O Christian, it is your task to help others wake up. For the light of Christ should shine in your life. It should come out of you wherever you move and wherever you, wherever you act and wherever you speak. People ought to look at you at work and wonder why you're so different. I can hear them saying of you at the water cooler. She's seen something. I want to know what she's seen. But be on the lookout, my friends, because being lulled to sleep spiritually, this is always a risk for us. And when we are lulled to sleep, the depth of the gospel is as good is veiled to us. This passage speaks to me today, and I hope it speaks to you because we are in the countless days of COVID slumber. It is easy to look for distractions and thus to be made spiritually sleepy. But the passage reminds me that God in Christ has made me awake. I have seen the glory of God. I have heard the good news of God. It's laid claim over my life. It's given me a fire in my belly to live the gospel's beautiful truths. The trick is to not fall back asleep and to help others wake up too. Anthony DeMello was an Indian Jesuit who wrote this spirituality text called Awareness. I'll show it to you. In it, he writes this story. Last year on Spanish television, I heard a story about this gentleman who knocks on his son's door. Jaime, he says. Wake up, Jaime answers. I don't want to get up, Papa. The father shouts, get up, you have to go to school. Jaime says, I don't want to go to school. Why not, asks the father. Three reasons, says Jaime. First, because it's so dull. Second, the kids tease me. And third, I hate school. And the father says, well, I'm going to give you three reasons why you must go to school. First, it's because it's your duty. Second, because you're 45 years old. And third, because you are the headmaster. Then DeMello says, wake up, wake up, you've grown up, you're too big to go to sleep, wake up and stop playing with your toys. Oh, Christian, I pray that you're awake, and I pray that you're helping others become awake. If it is a struggle for you, may I suggest that you take time to unplug and get away from the distractions and learn the heart and impulse of contemplation. 
For there you will meet yourself and you will meet God. I suggest you do not cease from meeting together, even if it means we're meeting only on Zoom or, or on live stream right now. Gather with those who you can and share the divine feast of our Lord. Look with fresh eyes at this world, for God is speaking to you from every corner. There is good news. There's a way out of destruction and a way to heavenly delight. Wake up.